Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you know that the opposite of patience isn't inpatience? I got to tell you, I didn't know that either until I started researching this episode. Patience is actually on a continuum with too much or too little on either side of the spectrum. And being somewhere in the middle is the healthiest. That's your sweet spot. Having patience is correlated with all kinds of good stuff, the ability to work collaboratively, have healthy and strong relationships, and moving you towards your goals. So today you'll learn about the three kinds of patience, why it's good for you, and my top five tips for having more of it. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Medcalf, and I'm a practicing psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven with over 35 years of experience helping people just like you. Join me as I teach you actionable tips and strategies to create connection, joy, and ease in all your relationships. So let's get to it. I'm so glad you're here on this fine day. I want to tell you, I am um, recording this on my birthday. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And there's really very little I'd rather do than do this on my birthday. What a a great way to help me celebrate. So thank you. Uh, People often ask me, are you not going to work on your birthday, are you? And I I saw clients this morning. I, I really love my work. I'm very, very grateful for that and appreciative. And I love doing the podcast, as you know, with you. So celebrating this day together feels real, real, real good to me. And I have to tell you, so someone, I think, DM me on Instagram. And so if you're out there listening, thank you, uh, (laughs) saying, hey, you know, I've done a lot of your tools, but I'm having trouble being patient and with myself and with others. And I started really laughing because if you asked, Anyone in my world, and I probably could ask you right now, what is Abby's biggest problem? What does Abby struggle with the most? If I ask my kids, if I ask Gary, if I ask my siblings, like anybody I would ask my best friends, they would tell you that I'm 
impatient. That is my biggest problem. So it's kind of funny between you and me that in literally over five years, it never occurred to me (laughs) to do an episode on patience. Ah, self-awareness. You fickle mistress. So, I mean, I know I'm self-aware. Like, I, I understand I'm impatient. I know that about myself. But again, how I never thought, oh, that'd be good to do an episode on. It's probably not just me. It, it's uh, remarkable to me that that has been missed all this time. So thank you for the idea. I always appreciate your ideas when you uh, put them out. You can put them out. You can email me, uh, DM me somewhere on social media. You can also... Um, uh, if you're watching me on YouTube right now, please like and subscribe. And if you are, you know, one of my favorite things I do now is I I look at the comments for the videos uh, so I can have an interaction with you. It's so nice. I know you can leave things on Spotify. You can say things, but I can't respond to those. It's really weird. Um, so people can say things, but I can't go, oh, thank you so much. I love that you said this. Or I, I there's no place for me to respond. So, and obviously if you leave a review on um, Apple, which again, I really appreciate the reviews and the ratings on Spotify, please go do that. And the last two reviews, incredible, that were uh, somebody from Australia, someone else here from the United States. They were so beautiful, literally got teary reading them. Thank you. Thank you. Again, one of the people said, we're in a relationship. You always remind me. So here I am doing this and really appreciate the reviews. They help people find us and we spread the word. So again, if you leave the comments on YouTube, I can actually respond. I can say hi, uh, which is really cool for me. But having said that, <laughs> uh, any of the ideas that come in, I really appreciate and like, and they help me uh, decide what to do next in the podcast, what you want to hear, what's important and relevant. But I always want to kind of forewarn you that please don't just sort of throw out some huge problem you're having and say any tips. I'm not going to do that. It's not ethical. It's, it's not, it's not only just not ethical, it's not good for you. Like your life is so not important that you can just randomly throw something up there. That's a huge problem for you. And like take two tips that come your way from someone who doesn't even know you. I mean, I love you, but I don't know you. I don't know your background. I don't know if you've had trauma. I don't know if this is your 10th bad relationship. I know nothing. So anybody who pretends to just throw you out, oh, here's some good ideas. They're full of crap. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, go see a therapist or uh, really call for yourself. I, you know, search for a keyword on my website. You'll you'll find what you're looking for. I guarantee. I would not guarantee, but I would think strongly. In all the years I've been doing this podcast, you will find something on your topic, and you could, um, you know, get some information that way and see what matches and what resonates. I mean, do something. Okay, so let's get back to patience. Why is it hard? You know, so, and I want to say this because I don't want to oversimplify this, but I also don't want to spend a lot of time on why it's hard because I really want to get to what it is and my tips. Um, it there's a lot of variables, and, and as I always say, there's like that come together that make sort of a perfect storm. And in this case, for how patient you are, and there's factors like your um, your mental health. Uh, Physical issues, obviously, if you're in chronic pain, you probably have less patience. Um, or if you're just dealing with a chronic disease or illness, uh, to, you know, any mental health issue, depression, anxiety, all, you know, bipolar, all kinds of things uh, come into that mix of why patients might be hard for you. <clears throat> Past trauma, 
the family culture you were raised. Maybe you were raised with super impatient, angry people. I don't know. You know, it really, maybe you were raised as a monk uh, somewhere where you have maybe too much patience. I don't know. You know, it, that all has, plays a part. But I would also add that I, in my estimation, and I've worked with people for 40 years now, so almost like 39 years, I think we're at. Um, and I will tell you that I have seen, I believe anecdotally that I've seen patients go down tremendously uh, with the advent of technology. You know, obviously the internet, our phones, social media, uh, they really create a culture, a landscape, an environment where we expect immediate gratification. We live in a world of immediate gratification, instant gratification. There was a Pew Research Center report on millennials that I read that said that hyperconnectivity is the main culprit in a need for instant gratification um, and a subsequent loss of patience. So, right. There was another study um, at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst that said that roughly 25% of people would stop watching a video that took more than five seconds to load and just over 50% stop watching after 10 seconds. And I know this when I look at my own stats for the videos. I, you know, people rarely watch all the way through a podcast if they're watching on YouTube. And it, when you're listening, when you're listening, you seem to do better. The people who are listening on Stitcher or whatever, or, you know, Apple or Spotify seem to listen longer um, and seem to come back to it. Like you'll listen to part of it and then maybe you get interrupted and then you go back and listen to the rest. But it's rare. I mean, it's rare. And that's not just me. That's in general with podcasts. People don't tend to listen all the way to the end. Um, so if you're one of those people, good for you. Uh, but it's it's just the way things are these days. There was a great, you know, the the they have the presidential debates every year, of course. And very famously, the Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln here in the United States, the Lincoln-Douglas debates were something like 18 hours. And people sat through the whole thing. Can you imagine people sitting through 18 hours of uh, presidential debate here in the United States? Oh, my gosh, I don't think so. So, uh, and I just think about, you know, I'm an old lady. I get it. But in my lifetime, I think about, um, you know, when I would write a paper, in high school or college, you know, we had a thing called the card catalog and you would, you know, you'd have to go to the card catalog. You'd have to look up your book. Actually, you'd have to go first and, um, it, you know, think you'd have to think about the author. You'd have to look through all these little cards in this, these tall, long, crazy drawers. And you'd look by author or subject and you'd go through this freaking card catalog. And then you'd get a little piece of paper, a little scrap of paper and a, these little golf pencils. And you would write down the number of where the book was in the library. And then you would have to go like roaming through the stacks with a Sherpa and some water, hoping to God that, you know, EM342.89 was what you were looking for. And you'd get to one row and it'd be done. And then you'd have to walk three miles to the net where it started again. It was insane. And then, of course, you know, I had to write the paper, right? There's no, I didn't have a computer. There's no computers. I didn't have a computer of any kind until my first master's degree. Okay. So, and I, when I wrote my dissertation, I will tell you, I couldn't imagine the people that came before who were typing, who were typing those things. Um, crazy. But I remember in high school, right? So you, and then you had 
long yellow, these yellow tablets where you would hand write all the notes that you took from the book and you were putting together your draft for your book report or whatever it was. And then you'd have to return the books on time. And sometimes you had to use a library resource, you know, a resource book from the library, which you weren't allowed to take out. Those weren't allowed to leave the library. So now I have to go and there's no copy machines. There's no copy machines. They don't exist in my lifetime. They came later, but way back in the day, you know, my mom was a teacher and I remember the Xerox copy machines. Um, they had the carbon paper and you'd have to, there was like a big circular thing and a rotating drum. And my mother would come home with blue fingers pretty much every day. Like all teachers had blue fingers back in my day from making photo, make, not photocopies, from making these copies because they weren't photos. Um, I mean, and so you're taking up, then you go home. And then if you're lucky, you have a typewriter and they're just literally typewriters. If you were rich, you had one that plugged in that could backspace over a mistake. I remember when those came out later, uh, you know, I mean, you had, you had to type your papers. If you made a mistake, you had to like use an eraser and blow on the paper and make a hole. I, I can't even. And then of course you'd hand that all in and your teacher would mark it up in red and then give it back. You'd have to retype the whole thing. You have to retype it. And God forbid you're typing from your written notes and you flip two pages over instead of one. So you realize that you've missed an entire page of your written document. So you'd have to go back and put in page 2.5 and 2.6 and, you know, like in the middle. It was a crapshoot, people. It was so much work and so much time. It's why we called them term papers, because you literally needed the whole term to write the paper. You couldn't just stay up all night the night before. You could study for a test all night for the next day, but you couldn't write a paper usually the night before, not the way they were set up, because it would have been impossible to, again, get the drafts back, to do all this stuff, to type everything up to go to the, uh, forget it. It took hours and hours and hours. And don't get me started when internet started and it was dial up and you'd hear bing, bing, boom. And it would take this whistling noise. I could go on. There were so many, you're already, you're like, Abby, I get it. It was exhausting. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not even giving you all the details of what it was like, but you know, we also couldn't like text my dad in the middle of the day and say, Hey, on your way home from work, please bring home milk. That didn't, like, none of that was available. None of it. None of it. Didn't have phones. We didn't, you know, one of my favorite conversations with my daughter when she was 11, she was upset because they didn't have cell phones. She, my kids didn't get cell phones. They were a little older. And she's 11 years old and all her friends have cell phones. And she's, she was really pissy with me. And she, she's like, well, how old were you when you got a cell phone? And I was able to say 33. 33. Yeah. Yeah. That's how old I was when I got a cell phone. So I don't want to hear your, your bitch and a moaning because that ain't, that's not what happened. Uh, you know, it's just, it was again, a very different time. Um, so when we talk about how just immediately we get things and how much that happens, go into the bank. Don't even get me started. We used to have to go certain hours when the, they were called bankers hours, when they were open Monday through Friday, and you had to bring your little book and they would stamp it. And I, cause there were no computers and you had a Christmas club where you saved up, you know, all year for your Christmas gifts or your holiday gifts. And, you know, and we just, everything was 10 more steps was so much more 
I don't know if difficult is the right word, just took longer. Everything took so much longer. And so you had to have a certain amount of patience because it was just built in to everything you did that you were going to wait. So there was a lot of waiting. I mean, there just was a lot of waiting. And people used to just stand in lines. I have to tell you this at the grocery store and at the movie theater and everywhere else. You know what they would do? They would stand. That You just stood there. You just stood there. You didn't have a phone to pull out. Occasionally, you'd see a person with a book. I always carried around a book. I was always a big reader. Um, but mostly, you know what you did? You talked to the people next to you. you. You actually were social. You were not staring down. So it really has changed our brains. Uh, if you want a great book about a lot of this, uh, Nicholas Carr, who's incredible. He's got TED Talks and everything. But he wrote a book called The Shallows many years ago that's phenomenal about just this sort of shallow thinking we end up doing. I won't get into that here, but um, if you're a reader, go read go read Nick Carr, anything by him. Amazing. C-A-R-R. Amazing. But anyway, so let's talk about what patience is. Because I'm going to, so I'm going to be talking a lot today about the work of Sarah Schnitker. And I, I got to, it's like S-C-H-N-I-T-K-E-R. So Schnitker. She's a PhD. She's an associate professor of psychology and neuroscience at Baylor University. And because she is the boss when it comes to research on patients, there's lots of other people who've done research and I will, you know, link as always to all the research in the notes because there's a ton of it, but, uh, or on the show notes page or on the blog post page, which is in the relationship tips and tools. It'll all be there. If you don't believe me or want to go down your own rabbit holes, be my guest. But I love her work. It's I've anyway, she's incredible. So and the first thing I like is that she places patients on a continuum because you always respond with some level of patience. So being impatient isn't at one end of the spectrum and patience on the other, right? That's how I said, no sirree, Bob. That's how I used to think of it. Instead, being patient is actually in the middle of that spectrum or that line with less patience on one end and too much, too much patience on the other. We'll talk about that. And the sweet spot being right in the middle. So she defines, Schnitker defines patience right there in the middle as the ability to be calm when, you know, tough crap happens in your life. When you're frustrated or facing some type of adversity or suffering, you're really able to remain relaxed and composed. So at its core, patience is the ability to wait <laughs> without frustration or agitation. Um, and I would say, or even needing to distract yourself, but I would even take the distraction as long as you're not frustrated or agitated. When you respond with less patience or no ability to be calm, you basically overreact to a situation. You know, you're caring too much and putting too much meaning into what's happening. When you respond with too much patience, right? So you can have too little patience on one end, but you can respond with too much patience on the other and you're where you're just too calm. And so really what that means is that you're disengaged from the situation or person. So essentially too much patience is not caring enough, right? So the other end is overreacting or caring too much. Uh, and th that other end is not caring enough. So again, and so you can think of the, the patient's continuum, right? Uh, a lot, like, let's say you're having, um, let's say you're having a fight with your partner or your mom or somebody, right? 
So the healthy patient way to have this argument will be for you both to be calm right there in the middle. You know, you listen attentively to each other, you come together, you figure out a solution, right? So you're both in the middle of that patient's spectrum. However, one of you, let's say it's not so healthy, one of you might end up on one end of the continuum with, so, uh, you know, a less patient or impatient response. You might yell, become angry, enraged, lash out. You could even have violence or throwing things or calling names or all kinds of things, right? Uh, or one of you might end up on the complete other side of the spectrum, uh, which would look like um, walking away, ignoring, uh, cold shoulder, right, stonewalling, or in some other way, being impassive and completely checking out. Both sides are unhealthy, too much or too little. And both are impatient, really. Even too, too much patience is impatient. You couldn't even stay engaged. You had to check out. They're just, they just show up in these very different ways. And I, again, I loved looking at it this way and I've always looked at it the other way. So again, thank you when you write in ideas. I learn so much. It just helps my life. You know, I know you think I'm helping you, but I'm helping me when I do, when I do these episodes. I mean, I hope I'm helping you too, but I really am so grateful once again for you and the podcast. And ah, I'm just having a moment, I'm having a moment with you. Okay. So let's talk about uh, the three types of patients. So again, according to Schnitker's research, I love her name. If you're listening, I love your name. Okay. Um, According to her research, there are three types of patients. There's interpersonal patients, there's patients with life's hardships, and there's a patients for daily hassles. I know it's literally how it's written, hassles. Okay. So if you have Interpersonal patients, it, me- it it sounds like what it means. It, it it means you're able to be patient with other people. So this is the one you've got to have if you want to be obviously successful in relationships, at home, at work, anywhere, right? If you have patient with patients with life hardships, this means you can deal over the course of your life with um, setbacks. You know the bigger adversities. So this could include, um, you know, chronic illnesses or an ongoing disability, bankruptcy that, you know, affects you for many years, an untimely death of a loved one or an act of violence, rape, things like that. So in other words, you can persevere and ultimately move forward even when. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
when something happens that that needs to be dealt with for a long time. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Okay, so it's really about the length of it. And then there's patience with daily hassles is just what you think. It's your ability to deal with the little stuff that happens each day. It's about being calm when, you know, the minor irritations and the snafus happen as you go about your day-to-day life. You know, you spilled toothpaste on your shirt and you're already running late. Your flight got canceled. Uh, the tra- the traffic is sucks or you're waiting on hold for, <laughs> this happened to me the other day. I'm waiting on hold to speak with my Kaiser representative, um, my healthcare representative. I was on hold about almost 30 minutes, 28 minutes, according to my, of course I looked. The person comes on and says, um, hi, is this doc, is this Abby? And I hear them say my name and then it's cut off, cut off, hung up on the call was disconnected. I know. So you feel a little suicidal in those moments, right? So how do you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with that daily hassle, these things that just happen? So again, I love seeing patients divided in this way because I love a target. (laughs) And I will tell you something interesting. I have the most impatience with people being unfair, what I consider unfair. Um, like, so I tend to do really well with the daily hassles and with long-term stuff. I just, I, I, I tend to be kind of a, a superstar there. Um, most of the time, not all the time. I suck sometimes like everybody, but believe it or not, it's interpersonally that I find because I, relationships mean so much to me. And I have so much invested in people and all the things. And, you know, it's my work and people, not my clients. I have very patient with my clients. I shouldn't say, I'm not always very patient. Uh, 90% of the time, I'm patient with my clients. Occasionally, they just do, you know, butt-headed things. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right? I get impatient with you. You've heard me yell at you on the podcast. Like, just do this. You know? I mean, that's where I think it comes out. So, I get most hung up there. And so I really have to, I like to think about that. So again, you might find yourself good in one area and not in another. So when, you know, we get to to the tips, you can apply them very specifically if you need to, which I like. And before I get to the tips, I just want to say this, just to really drive everything home. Impatience is physically and mentally bad for you. There's a lot of research showing that it's, again, mentally bad, physically bad. It's been connected. And again, I'll link to all the research if you want to go look, but research has connected impatience to obviously irritability, higher risk of heart problems, probably from the stress you put on, difficulty handling stressors. So stress becomes anxiety and again, heart problems and other things, lack of self-control and get this one, speeding up the aging process. So get this, impatience has been linked to shorter uh, telomeres, th- that's the, the DNA that influences how our cells age, that influences our cells to age. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's been linked to loneliness, to more depressive symptoms and other negative emotions. I mean, it goes on and on. Whereas having more patients, on the other hand, has, again, not too much, right, but has been linked to uh, higher life satisfaction, higher self-esteem, greater self-control, greater ability to accomplish goals, better emotional regulation and less depression and anxiety, more empathy, uh, and being a better friend and a better partner. I know. So if you're looking to improve your life, patience is a good place to jump in, right? So let's get to it. Here are my top five tips for cultivating patience, meaning to be somewhere in the middle, 
not too much patience and not too little. Okay. And, you know, in, I, I think it was in one, maybe two of her studies, I'll link to it, but uh, Schnitker conduct, she conducted patients training. Okay. In, in one of the big studies, she conducted patients training and the participants reported not only feeling more patient in their relationships, but they also reported less depression and more positive emotions after this training. So what her studies show is that patience is a skill that you can practice and get better at. Okay. So that, that's really my point here. There are many really easy to apply tips to help you move that needle into the middle, you know, where patience, equanimity, calm, all, all of those beautiful things. Okay. So let's do it. So tip number one is to think the word patience. So I've mentioned before that our brains run on recency and frequency. The more recently you've done something and the more frequently you've thought or done something, the more attention the brain gives. it. And that's why, you know, it's really hard to start a new habit because you'll just forget. <laughs> so maybe you thought, oh, I'm going to start setting intention every day. Abby's always saying to do that. Um, and then you forget the whole day goes by and you've never set intention. You're like, why do I keep forgetting? Uh, it's because it, there's no frequency and there's no recency. Once you get things into the, the, you know, the role, once you get them into the pattern, then your brain pays more attention. So if you think the word patient more often, your brain will bring it to the forefront more often and help you be more mindful about it. So to do this, you want to use what's called an action trigger. And an action trigger is used when there's a certain behavior you want to reinforce. So you attach it to a specific activity you're already doing, okay, every day. So like if you wanted to start exercising more, you might go, okay, every night after dinner, because we always have dinner, I'm going to go directly and have a walk. Boom. Um, or I'm going to um, I'm gonna put on my gym clothes, I'm going to drop the kids at school and go right to the gym Monday through Friday after I drop them off. I'm not going to go home, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to go right to the gym. That's an action trigger. You're, you're d doing this thing that you already have as a habit. It's got to be something you already have as a habit. And you're attaching to it. And that makes it easier to do. So in this case, I want you to think of something you do often in the day, often in the day, not once a day. And think of the word patience every time you do it. So it could be anytime you go to the bathroom. I hope you go to the bathroom multiple times a day. Um, you could walk there and think about the word patience. You could put a sticky near your office door and, or uh, outside the bathroom door if you want to do it that way. And so every time you start to open the bathroom door, there's a sticky there to remind you to think of the word patience. Or each time you eat. Take a drink, uh, pick up your phone, check your email. Anything else that happens a few times a day, uh, just have a sticky there, have some sort of reminder there to think of the word patience. And I'm telling you, try this for a week and you will absolutely see that you are being more patient. I'm just telling you, it's amazing. It's, I would say if you do no other tips, do that one. It's the easiest one. You can stop listening now if you... No, don't stop listening. There's more. Um, but you get the idea. It's really so effective. I use it with all kinds of things, but I, that's how I do it. Okay. Tip number two. Oh, you knew I was going to say it. Start meditating. And I have written a ton about the benefits of meditation. And we know from the research that'll also help you be more patient. So I'm not going to, I did already did this. I did a whole episode on meditation, how to do it. I have a free meditation starter kit. 
I have a mini course that's like 11 bucks, learn to meditate for 15 minutes in just 15 days. I have so many resources for you that are free or paid. So go do them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend our time here. Okay, do it. It is one of the top ways you can have more patience. All right. Tip number three is to identify your feelings and triggers for not being patient. So there are definitely certain things that trigger you when it comes to patience. So maybe it's any type of conflict. Maybe it's when you perceive someone else as being rude or unfair, like me. <laughs> maybe it's whenever you don't get enough sleep. What? Maybe it's whenever you get in the car. Uh, Keep a journal of your feelings or track your feelings. There's a ton of apps available for this. I'm not even going to mention. There's just a ton for feeling tracking apps for your phone or anything else. Track for one week. And I'm telling you, just one week. Just track it for a week and start to get a handle on when exactly you feel impatient. And then you can see what elements lead to that. Maybe it's because you're always rushed every morning when you leave and you get in the car and then you know, you're always impatient on the drive. Like there's ways for you to break it down and really start to take a look and, and approach these things with more patience, more patience. <laughs> the key is that you really have to identify what emotion is really driving this response of impatience. Okay. So again, a long commute and feeling impatient, what's really going on? Are you angry because you want to go home to eat? You know, maybe next time you have to bring a healthy snack in the car like what, what, what is it, what's going together? And once you've identified your feelings and triggers, you'll be better able to practice, practice mindfulness. I know I've written a ton on mindfulness, get the free mindfulness starter kit to, so you can be in your moments. So you can act, not react in those situations. So you'll still be in traffic. It's not like you're suddenly going to go, Oh, I love my commute, but you'll be able to act, not react, not just immediately be impatient and grumpy and whatever. It'll also help you preventatively prepare for people, for environments that you know trigger your impatience, okay? Um, taking two deep breaths, you know, the, the long inhale through your nose and a, the slowest exhalation you can do through your mouth will absolutely, absolutely help you recalibrate in those moments. You can do that. I mean, there's, again, I've done a lot on this before, but you want to get good at really looking at the triggers and the emotions that go with it. Tip number four is slow down and practice delayed gratification. When you're moving fast or noticing yourself feeling rushed, it's a big indicator that you're likely going to have less patience. So if you're thinking, um, I'm always in a rush, Abby, then let this be your warning sign that you have way too much on your plate and it's time to problem solve how to have less to do each day. You just can't keep being on this kind of grind. When you're doing something, use that mindfulness to check in and notice if you're feeling rushed. Is there even a reason to feel rushed? Sometimes we're, it's just a habit of thought. We always feel like we're rushing to the next thing. Is your anxiety leading you instead of your calm mind leading you? Take stock, take a breath, slow down. And you know, as I already said, we, we live in a time of instant gratification. And this becomes, again, a habit of thought. And it, infor it really, I don't want to say it. It, it, it really enforces this neural wiring, which supports needing more immediate gratification. You know, that's just how that goes, right? So think of ways you can delay. Don't respond to the text right away, ever. 
Don't immediately hit reply in the email. When you're waiting anywhere, here's one you can do today. When you're waiting anywhere, don't whip out your phone. Just stop, put, keep your phone in your bag or wallet or, or a wallet in your back pocket, wherever. Just really try not to have your phone out when you're bored or transitioning. And just practice that. Just, you'll do it. You'll be okay. You won't die. We, we did it for decades before phones came. I Trust me, you'll be okay. Just relax for a moment. Take in the scene. Talk to a neighbor. So, you know, look around. Uh, again, chat with someone. Who would have thought? Bring a book, maybe. Maybe an actual book along and just read. You can do that. Um, go to the store more instead of buying online. Make a list of what needs to be done around the house. And instead of asking your partner daily, you know, texting them in the moment, oh, when you get home, remember you got to fix the dog door. Just don't do that. Keep a list. Uh, I have my couple's business meeting. You can look that up or I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I do a whole thing on a couple's business meeting where you meet once a week and go over the things that have to be done. So you're not kind of nagging your partner all the time about things. That's really good for delayed gratification. Just wait. It'll be okay. It can wait. You know, it can wait. Don't te text or call your partner during the workday. Just stop doing that. Just stop. Just wait. <laughs> Don't feel the need to be in constant connectivity. If you're, you know, I used to do this with my kids a lot. I still do it. We have a rule in my house. If someone is up and you want something, you can ask them to do it if you're sitting down. Otherwise, you have to get it yourself. So, you know, if I'm in the kitchen and Max wants a glass of water, He's allowed to ask, hey, mom, do you mind getting me a glass of water, please? He obviously has to ask nicely. And when my kids were, especially when they were little, little, and they really couldn't do things for themselves, I would always make them wait. I was very good at being very aware of delayed gratification because I'm a friggin' druggie, man. I'm a, I'm a junkie. I don't want my kids to be junkies. And delayed gratification is a really good thing to get good at. So I would tell them, yeah, I'll have it to you in a couple minutes. And I, even though if I was standing there doing nothing, did not matter, I would make them wait just to have that feeling and be patient while they waited for something to happen and to trust that it would without them having to jump in and control it. And I will say this, part of slowing down is also to stop multitasking. Do one thing at a time. If you do that, if you do one thing at a time, it will help you just naturally slow down and delay gratification. Really try to practice that as much as you can. All right. And tip number five is to reframe. So I have did a whole episode on cognitive reframing. I will say that at its most basic level, when, you know, a cognitive reframe helps you, helps you look at a situation, a person, a thought, a feeling from a different perspective. It, it's a, it's a strategy that helps you really open your, your mind to a new point of view, a new mindset, a new angle on what's happening. So you can think differently about it and learn to be patient and let things go. And it's crucial because what do I say all the time? You feel the way you think. So changing your thinking about something will change your feeling about it. That's how you go from feeling crappy to feeling at peace about something. You can stop letting it bother you, right? And yeah, you can, or overthinking it or whatever you're doing. So the, the thoughts you think and the subsequent emotions that you feel are almost always rooted in some old negative pattern that you've probably had since childhood, frankly. Uh, these ways, you know, these ways of 
thinking, these ways of coping, they, they served you, I'm sure, in some way for many years, but they don't serve you now. And especially if you're impatient and frustrated and angry and disappointed and all those things, then they're certainly not serving you. So when you get a new perspective on something by cognitive reframing, you can finally change those old patterns. You really gain control over your thoughts, over your feelings, and you feel better. I mean, you feel better. So, you, right? What, what's a habit? What do I always say? A habit is just a thought you've had over and over. So you can absolutely create new patterns of, of thought, which become healthy new habits. So, um, you know, my favorite cognitive reframe is always, uh, life is happening for you, not to you, right? That's, that's a great one. That's a whole other way of thinking things. Or if you think of problems as challenges, that's another way to cognitively, cognitively reframe a problem. It's a challenge. It's something I, I, you know, it's, it's raising me up to meet it. Uh, obviously some reframes are easier and some are harder. So, you know, there, there, so there, I do have like a specific process for um, cognitive reframing. There's a five-step process for cognitive reframing. Again, this is episode 158, how to stop overthinking and let things go that bother you. So if you want to look it up by name or number, you can do that. Again, I'm not going to go into the steps here because I have it somewhere else where you can go deep on that topic. Whew, I feel like I spoke really fast. You know, I got to go out and celebrate my birthday. I got, <laughs> I have to go have a moment. Um, that's it. That's everything. That that's patience. Thank you again, whoever DM me for coming up with that fabulous idea. Thank you for the, the these last two reviews that were up. Um, the end of September again. One was from Australia. One was here in the United States. Oh my gosh, they were like multiple stars and just beautiful. And I read them all the way through twice. I, you brought tears to my eyes. Thank you. Thank you. If you haven't written a review yet, I'd really appreciate it. If you've bought my book and liked it, you know, how to be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing, the Amazon number one bestseller. If you have bought that, please leave a review on Amazon. That helps. Um, and my new book, uh, Boundaries Made Easy is going to be out. It looks for sure by mid-November. So I'll give you a, a firm date once I know. And um, that's it. I love, love, love that I spent some of my birthday with you. It means a lot to me. Um, I don't want to cry because I want to keep my makeup good later. Um, I love you. No one tells you today. I do. I love you. I so appreciate our relationship and being here with you. It means really so, so much to me. Have an amazing week and I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.